Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. Well, today we have with us Josh Long, my longtime friend who I first met when I presented down at the Phoenix Java User Group uh, about Flex long, long ago. Oh, Are we yeah. writing the Flex book then? I think so. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is 2006, yeah. so I don't know when that book came out. That sounds about right. That sounds so yeah. long ago. It, it is it, it kind does. of a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, you were you were writing uh, maybe your first spring book? That was a couple years later. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. Like, I hadn't seen, I didn't even know what the job was until I met you. Like, I didn't know what this looked like to not just write code for money. You know, like, uh, you, 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 I didn't know there was like a meta level, like a top tier level. Like, you could write about writing code you could write text about writing code which is meta yeah it's a meta job i didn't know that i didn't know that way more satisfying than actually having to create a product though i mean if i yeah i mean sure yes i'm not good at it that's the problem i i've spent the last uh, 11 12 years now just wondering how uh, james here got it right all those years uh it looks so effortless effortless when you do it but then ah it's so so hard like I don't like hard things. I shirk away from responsibility and, and work. <laughs> well, it, but see, you put your finger on it there. James makes it look effortless. Yeah. That's Ferguson. that's the only skill he has. <laughs> it's like he can make it look effortless. Yeah. And I'm Perception. I'm sure. Ease. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Well. So um, I'm going to admit I've had a few grazing interactions with, you know, what spring is. And Rod Johnson yeah. would come in when I first started holding conferences up here. He came to a couple. And so I I learned about cross-cutting from Rod. <laughs> and, concerns, uh, yeah. Yes. And, and then, you know, had some idea that at least the initial spring had something to do with that. But other than that, I'm not even sure. Like spring, I think was trying to solve the problem of how bad J2EE was? Uh, well, yeah, that's part of it. So before I before we get into that, I've had some, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe you remember this, but I certainly I certainly do. First of all, I, you, you were nice enough to print one of my letters to you. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I think I've told you this before, but just in case for the audience benefit, audience's benefit. I, I sent you a letter there, Bruce, uh, years ago, a fawning letter about your thinking in Java, and you actually printed it in the reader section of the second edition. Oh. Uh, so starbucksman.com, Josh Long. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> so uh, that was that was the first thing. I'm a big fan, obviously, and I, I loved your books. And uh, I was sat in the – sat. long story short, my, my dad sold cremation services, and, um, uh, you know, we were piss poor, but he, he, he was a very charming, <laughs> persuasive fella. So he was knocking on doors house to house in Los Angeles in the 90s and early 2000s selling cremation services, and he – uh, bumped into this older couple, uh, this older couple that had a home in the Hollywood Hills and uh, just, he sold them cremation services and somehow managed to get me invited to go spend the summer in the south of France in their like retirement chateau, you know. Wow, uh, your dad was so an amazing I, salesman, huh? Yeah, he, was, he could talk, uh, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. He was very good. And so, so I got to go be the like I did chores. I cleaned gutters and did the gardening and all that in the south family. of France. Yeah, but I but I got to learn French. Little did I know, unbeknownst to me, this this uh, the gentleman was a um, pr- professor emeritus uh, of computer science at um, 
CSUN, I think, maybe? I forget. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, so he had, in his chateau, as one does, he had thinking in Java, right? Just uh-huh. in, a, in a pile of books there. Wow. And so here I am thinking I'm going to maîtriser le français, you know? And, it, it, and I, I got a lot of that. But I also read through that book. It's the first book that ever put uh, Java in context. Like, I, I had treated it like C with more interesting structs before that, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really I, understand object orientation at all. Until I, um, until I read Thinking in Java, I wrote my Java like I wrote my Pearl. So right. <laughs> you know, and, and just to qualify that a little, yeah. my recent learnings have made me wonder if I had really been teaching object-oriented, yeah, the object-oriented concepts all that well. I, I have some shame about it now. <laughs> It was a... I feel like I feel like maybe I misled a lot of people. I mean, I was just didn't understand it as thoroughly as I do. You know, it's almost like you have to go on to a more. It's like you have to to understand calculus. You have to take courses in partial differential equations. You know, and then you go, oh, calculus, no problem. And it's like with with uh, object oriented programming, you really have to maybe start learning functional programming and then you go, Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we used generics for how many years before we realized it was a type of polymorphism. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Or even what polymorphism is, you know, I always thought polymorphism, you got to have inheritance and dynamic binding. And then, and then finally came across just in the last year or two, this definition where it said, Oh, it means that the argument to a function can have different types. It's like, oh, oh, that's pretty neat. Everything's different now. And then it fits in with generics. Oh, yeah, it gives it different types. It's just a different way of doing that. It's yeah. Like, oh, okay, now everything just got bigger. It's and I realized profound. I was focusing everybody on uh, inheritance polymorphism, which is pretty limited. Yeah. Although I, even there, like I remember your updates to the book, uh, I could sense there was a bit of a turmoil mm-hmm. as you were writing it, comparing it to C++ templates and the, the, they're just this, this incongruity. Oh, you know, like, well, erasure. Yeah. Um, just a, I, and, yeah. and all the apologetics around erasure, they're still doing it. I was like, yeah. no, no, we really, erasure is actually better. No. You're just going, I don't see it. Don't see it. Yeah, they, you're taking something away from me, telling me that it's better. I'm not buying it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I. So despite your shame around yeah. this, at least I don't yeah. write my code. At least I don't write my Java and Kotlin code like Perl anymore. So <laughs> you, you helped get me That's away a from pretty that. low. Bar. I do. I do write my Scala like I write my Perl, but <laughs> with, but a, with anger. <laughs> yeah. I well, know. It, all that to say, I really appreciate you. And uh, oh, and I, thank you. As as whatever shame you may feel, it, it worked out okay for me, and I suspect <laughs> millions of others. So, thanks. Yeah, it, it shame where I'm going. Oh, I understand it better now than I used to. Is not the worst kind. No, like at least that. that happened. But it's more like, oh no, I said, you know, like encapsulation. Now I'm just really questioning that whole the whole value yeah. of that is that that wasn't yeah yeah <laughs> well so the other thing is I, at the time i was already learning uh python and you i noticed had a, a kick for for python and i, I remember reading you because i remember that th- those books of yours those first books you had basically j unit you had something that would automatically run the code 
mm-hmm. in the books. And that was always just very interesting to me that you were so devout about like, I, these need to be compiled and run. Otherwise I don't trust them. Right? Oh yeah. Automatically. Encountered so many books where oh, the, yeah. the code was never work. tested. Yeah. And you could just open it to a random page and you go, I don't even have to compile this code. I can see the error. <laughs> right. You know, somebody was in a hurry. I was like, no, don't want to do that. I, I spent, uh, I wrote a few books and I, because I, 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 I learned from you, but I still couldn't enforce the same system in those first few books because a lot of the publishers with whom I worked insisted on like Word documents and all this terrible stuff. And it's just very hard to like, pull code out of it. I just couldn't write. I didn't have something as cool as what you had built. Uh, and so eventually now I'm at the point where I have ASCII doctor and I have JUnit and I have continuous integration. So yes, all the code in my books runs and compiles and all that stuff uh, because there are includes and, you know, thank goodness, but it only took me 20 years to catch up to. I think were. it's becoming more common. And when I first did it, which was for thinking in C++, I wrote the tools in C++. Yeah. And then, and then I think for the next edition, it was like I had learned Python, Python and I converted it from C++ to Python. Took took me two weeks to write it initially in C++ and a half a day to write it in Python. <laughs> so it's like, it's a lot. And, and I know, you know, we go all around. It's just like, oh, Python's got all these limitations and restrictions. It's like, and still you get a lot, you get a lot of stuff done. Yeah. And you get, a lot, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to have a, well, they used it for like some Mars rover or something. They were running Python and I was going, I'm not sure if I would use Python for that. You know, I don't know if I'd want to feel that confident about it. Huh. Well, the same issues that would bedevil Python in that context also bedevil Java. Remember the oh, well, inch yeah. to kilometer, inch to meter thing or whatever it was, inch to center. They had some sort of conversion error. It's just like, at oh. some point, you're going to make the mistakes. Python can't Sure. Yeah. Or, and, and a more robust language like Kotlin or Scala is yeah. is going to give you better, yeah. Which certainly, but we figure it out and think everybody's good. Well, like when I first did that testing all my code, I thought every other book author is going to see this and they're going to go, "Oh, I have to do that." Yeah. And nope, didn't happen. Oh. Yeah. You're a trendsetter, that's for sure. And I just uh, I, I because of you, I also learned I got deep into Python, uh, and uh, I'm one of those folks that got really into Python before the data science machine learning craze. And I got into Ruby before Rails. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, R- Ruby, I could, I don't, I don't care. But Python, I still use it all the damn time. It's in, yeah. it's just so damn useful, you know. If you're Pardon going to solve a problem for yourself. Yeah. It's like, that's still what I reach for, you know, because I know I, I, I can be super productive with it. Actually, I, I have a pipeline that I use to produce my podcast, right? It's a, a piece of software that, uh, that just does the video muxing and the audio oh, wow. muxing rather. It takes the files and puts them together, puts the bumpers, all that stuff. And that's all Python. That's a, a thing that runs in Kubernetes somewhere. Right. I, I, I chuck the uh, opening and the interview and an image of the guest for that week into hmm. the system and just stand back and it gets published automatically after it gets muxed together and submitted to the API. Well, for we don't do any of that. that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's Python. That's my point. I, that um, audio muxing, oh, if, if you want to shell out to, yeah. you know, FMPEG or things like that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. It's it like Python. it beats Bash. I Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway. I, I, heard, I heard a terrible joke. Yes. I, it was on, on the internet. And, of course, you know, everything's perfect on the internet. Uh, it, it was not my joke. I mean, I wish it were. It's so bad. It's good. It wraps around to being great. 
which is if a bunch of Linux users go to a party, is it called a batch? <laughs> oh. That really is pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, who did yeah. that? Who, okay. Who did? Can we edit that out? <laughs> Please don't ever come back to this show, Josh. Please just, uh, don't darken our doorstep with your terrible jokes. So anyway, can we yes, sir. talk about Spring? Because yeah. tell me what problem Spring was trying to solve. And I know it's evolved a ton and now sure. they're trying to get rid of all the reflection, but it's heavily uh, reflection based and yeah. you know, all these things. Just tell me about spring as if I don't know what spring is, which is well, true. That's yeah, you and me both brother. Uh, so <clears throat> at some point, uh, so the, the story, the, the story that Rod tells is that he was trying to write this book around how to solve, uh, how to build enterprise apps, you know, in terms of uh, what was then called J2EE. So again, this is the name from, this is three names ago, right? It's now Jakarta EE, but it was Java EE for a spell. And, and then before that, it's And G2E. it gets better every time they change the name, I guess. Right. No, no, that's true. That's a fact. And, um, and uh, or at least it gets more, you know, it gets older. More. Um, so oh, anyway, they, they, so he was trying to figure out how to write apps and he wanted to write a book about it, right? And he thought, well, I'll just, you know, he had been an architect doing consulting, all that kind of stuff. And so he started to, he started to try and write a book about it and just realized it was just completely impossible. You'd have hundreds of pages of just, you know, reams of XML and annotations, whatever. It was just endless uh, uh, verbosity for, for no apparent gain. And by the way, I noticed that you had the same problem there, Bruce. At one point, I was reading your Thinking Enterprise Java books, that, the preview books that you were putting out. Um, do you remember those? There's, that's another point of shame. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember talking about it and trying to do it and really having no clue. So uh, an interesting little piece of background. One of the, when I was doing these pre-conference things with Martin Fowler, he invited one of the architects for J2EE up yeah. here. I remember. You remember that and you remember how he said, Oh, all of this was actually an ivory tower exercise that escaped and yeah. became, <laughs> this, you know, and you think about how many billions of dollars were lost because of a bad ivory tower exercise. Yeah. So I didn't know. And it's like, unfortunately, I have to have a pretty deep understanding of something before I can explain it to somebody else. And I couldn't get my head around what J2E was trying to do, even. <laughs> Me either. It's probably like a red flag if you start writing a book about a technology and you get to the point where one code sample is 10 pages long. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe something's wrong here. Something's wrong. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I lost my, I, I felt like I just wasn't smart enough, right? As mm -hmm. confident as your book had made me feel about Java, J2E at the time just made me feel like, well, maybe I'd be better served in the .NET community. They have these cute attributes and I can just, attribute a, a, a method and ta-da, to, to SOAP RPC service or whatever. I don't know what I was looking for, mm -hmm. but it was something easier than what I was getting over here with x.cut and ejb.cut and all that. So, so anyway, he wrote this book and he said it, it, it shook his, like, it shook his conviction in the idea of writing this book. He thought it was just a, it would be cool to perpetuate it. So he started writing code to show a better way forward, right? And that code then became the sample code for a book that he published with, uh, with Rocks. Are they still in business? They were good. They did books. I'm um, surprised oh, he Rock's published <laughs> with them. They, yeah. they were always like the worst. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, th that was one of the great books. You know, 
sometimes you never know where a, book, a good book's going to come. So mm-hmm. he, uh, what did he do? So he published that so this book. This was just it, the the book was the example of a possible better way. Yeah, a path forward, right? And everybody and, goes, "Well, that I understand. Let's do that." Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And it it resonated so much that people wanted the code posted to a SourceForge project. It became an open source thing. Uh, Jurgen Holler, the number two person on the Spring team. Uh, was it you know he found it and started contributing to it and improving it and then other people and then eventually you have the uh, the six or eight founders uh, you know the original founders of uh, what would become Interface Twenty One and then Spring Source people started using it they started you know pushing it towards a one release which would come out in two thousand four uh, and so it was basically a way to build services on the server you know server side services um, in a more elegant way and it, it at the time the the sort of Bar, you know, the bar was you had to make it easier to integrate all these APIs because we can joke about EJB one and two, but like the server API was pretty reasonable at the time, right? Twenty years ago, it, it it's not worse than CGI or whatever, you know, uh, uh, WSGI or or, or or Rack or whatever. You know, they're all basically just w- w- request in, response out. I mean, I could understand works. servlets. Me too, I, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was reasonable, and there were some things that you know, there were some things that were just re- JMS was uh, pretty neat if you wanted to do messaging. It was a finally a nice consistent way to talk to brokers so some of that was worth integrating and, and so the the use case there was let's provide a, a framework because you need something that orchestrates all this for you something that pulls all these things together but it also has to be flexible because people are going to want to you know influence they want to there's knobs and levers that they're going to want to be able to manipulate to control how behaviors in the application work with j2e at the time there was none of that you could do it just the one way they allowed or it didn't work at all Right. And, and so if you wanted to go outside of that, so for example, um, thread pools, thread pools are, are verboten inside of an EJB application container, right? Is the container Just, supposed to manage all that for you? Yeah, exactly. Well, what if I need a thread? I, I can think of lots of reasons why I might want a thread. Well, too bad, you know, or what if you wanted to do, what if you wanted to have uh, uh, certain types that are visible from both the EJB and the web server, you know, or whatever. Just weird things that just didn't work consistently. To say nothing of the uh, of the verbosity of it all, right? The uh, the insane, endless reams of XML that you'd have to do for configuration of these deployment reams, descriptors. Reams. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did I ever tell you guys about how? Uh, yes. I actually got fired from my own startup because of EJB and J2E. No, so you go not. on. Yeah, this Sounds is a side note. Uh, so I had to start up. And it was, it was in, I don't know, what year was that? I didn't know you had a startup. 2001, 2002. Okay. We, um, we were primarily doing Java consulting. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were working on, for a, a client, we were working on a project. And I really wanted to use CMP. Um, Container Managed Persistence. Persistence, yeah. And my, one of my business partners, he saw me struggling with CMP. And he was like, no we got to move on. We can't just like tinker with CMP all day long. We got to right. like, just write your JDBC and move on. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to make the CMP work. And so we had a big fight over using CMP. And then I got fired from my startup because clearly I was not a good fit for a consulting company, running a consulting uh, company. Cause I cared more about tinkering with CMP tower. than, than, uh, than actually getting things done. Hmm. And that's exactly I had started. That's why I got away from it. Is I and, and why I found Spring because I was at startups. You have to wear many hats. You can't afford to just revel in the in the in the nonsense. You got to ship right. And so uh, you know, I learned very quickly. Ah, this isn't going to work for me. I'll try something else. I was going to go to .NET. I was so confounded by this whole J two E thing at the time. 
So anyway, Roddy. So it turns out reveling in nonsense. Uh, that is a good description of my career since I got fired from the startup. <laughs> that would be a great tagline for a particular kind of consulting firm because <laughs> I feel also like that reveling in nonsense is what right? I enjoy. Yeah. I, I, that's what, it, that's what draws me. I want to know all of the little details and that's, I, I feel like it pays off too, but, sure. it, oh, it's, it's but you just have to be thinking bigger picture. So this is why you haven't done term. spring is that spring was not enough reveling and nonsense. Mm, for you. It's too practical. <laughs> uh, well, I, and by the way, if we ever have a band, can we name it that? Yeah. Reveling and nonsense. nonsense yeah. Yes. yeah. It's a ska band. <laughs> <laughs> yes. suits and everything yes. yeah, yeah exactly yes. i used to so play good. the saxophone back but i i i was terrible at it so oh that's a, that okay was, sorry yeah. go that was a nice oh, urgent um continue um, so it, uh, near the b at some point xml became the configuration or maybe it was from the beginning the way to yeah. kind of wire together an application but then at yeah. some point it switched to annotations as being the primary way and xml is maybe even still supported is that it is still supported well so here's the thing like so the the problem with the j2 at the time was you had these component models that were islands they didn't know about each other so you couldn't write something and have it be an object that both a servlet or a you know later on jsf or whatever mm could see that would also be visible inside of EJP. There were completely different component models. And if you wanted to make an object available over here, it was a completely different isolated class loader and everything else compared this to what's over here. like big push around not using inheritance for for these structures, right? Well, he, yeah, but I mean, yes. So that was part of it, but it was also just, they were completely different. They were different islands. They, these these things, you had to recreate re this stuff. And so you'd, you'd go over there and, and do you remember the, uh, the seven deployer roles? Oh my God! For, for J2E, right? There's at some point Sun put out a, a marketing thing. You need saying you need seven different people with seven different skills to take a piece of software and get it into production, right? Well, and, and you know what? We need to just copy and paste that document and change J2E to Kubernetes, and and it probably is accurate. Um. Yeah. So this is where you say Tazu. Uh, ta well, yeah. We, so we no company smaller than seven people could. Deploy or something. I don't know what they were thinking with that document, but then here comes Ruby on Rails, and it's like, what do you mean? I'll do everything by myself in five minutes, right? And of course, that was a bit of a lie, but still, it was night and day. I can there's an exodus that you might recall around 2005, right? These people started just going, I'm I'm out of here, you know. Um, the seven, the seven uh, roles of deployment or whatever the name of that document was. Yeah, it reminds me of Office Space when Milton <laughs> is like, I take the papers from the customers to the engineers, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like his whole existence was just like, I'm, I have people skills, goddammit. I have people skills. <laughs> you remember the name of the character. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? He, he is every programmer that's that, been. Was he the state Yeah. yeah. Oh, him. My, my friend Daniel met the actor. Nice. They, they oh. were having dinner. And yeah, he was the, a really the nice graphics guy. Graphics designer? Uh, yeah, Daniel, the graphics designer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, that's so he, cool. He designs watches, and he's just finished the second novel. He wrote in 16 days. First one took like nine months, and the second one was 16 days. 16 days. He teaches. Oh, I know. I, I'm blown away. He's expecting ah. us to be writing novels in New Mexico. So, 16. That's amazing. I it uh, is. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of his stuff as well. I, so nice. To, I always love that you had a real colophon that was worth digging into. Me, I love typography. I love fonts. I love graphics. I, oh. Some of my first interactions were like around how to automate 
you know, pagination tools, desktop publishing tools, right? I wanted mm -hmm. to figure out how to use, so I used VBScript to make a Aldous Page Maker do tricks, you know? Not VBScript, uh, AppleScript. Uh, wrong with AppleScript, right? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, I was just love that you have a call upon that was, re that re was respectful of design and typography and all that. Uh, yeah. Anywho's will be. Um, so yeah, that was just, the, the, the component model was inflexible and it meant that you just kind of had to do it one way or it didn't work. So any other use case just didn't work. So he thought, okay, if it's going to work, it needs to be, it needs to be like just one open field of like things. And they're, yes, this is going to do web stuff and this is going to do transactions and data sort of stuff, but they're not completely separate component models. They're the same kind of thing. They just play different roles. They're both objects in Java. They both play different roles though. So um, were the J2E designers doing that because they were saying, oh, everything should be isolated. And if you want to talk to each other, you should, I don't know, make another object to. I think some of this came out of the Gang of Four and like Gang of Four, like uh, recommending all these layers. You know? Right. I, I don't know about that. I think it was because they provided different services. So a, a class or, or seven in the, or five, whatever, in the case of EJB, a class in EJB was transactional and it would start and stop transactions on method invocations and you know it had container management system so there's a whole host of services that the container needed to do for those special you know blessed objects over here the servlet objects those are which are again just java classes somehow they needed to be handling web web traffic and so i, I think it just they built these in isolation they said oh i'm going to build a thing that handles web traffic over here and i'm going to let somebody give me a regular java class that has a servlet implementation and I'll make it so that that gets hooked up to the network requests. The problem with ivory here, towers is that you you always, in a large organization, have many ivory towers. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what you're pointing out, is that, that these things are probably being designed in isolation by totally. individual ivory towers. And... What would be the ideal? Yeah, and, and I never understood, like there was the EJBs, and then they had the two kinds. They had the... Oh, oh, session beans. Session, session beans. beans, stateless and cert, cert, you know, stateful yeah, state versus and persistence. Like, and I never, beans. that's the thing. All of the stuff that I read about, I never understood what problem any of those things were trying to solve. And my impression is that Rod could see through all of that. And he goes, oh, here's what you're really trying to do. Right. Let's design around that mm. instead of, I think people who were designing EJ, EJ2EE were, were imagining all of the problems. I, so I, I don't know if that's, uh, so, okay. Here's no the direct thing. experience. Perhaps, but also maybe not because like, for example, JMS was born of, uh, a lot of that stuff is like, they took all these different vendors as technologies and they figured out what's the lowest common denominator. Let's rubber stamp that and make it a spec so that they had something to sell. But that means that these businesses had technologies that they went to market with that people wanted. So clearly there was some need for some of this stuff, right? It's just EJB in its original incarnation that really feels out of nowhere, right? At the time they had Java spaces, which I thought was a much better model for building services at, at, on the network, you know? Um, but, uh, but, but either way, yeah, I can see what you're saying. And the, the fact that you had this completely different like thing over here, Rod, he understood that, you know, having the ability to have a class that starts and stops a transaction that's not a whole marketing effort and specification and technology set and group in Oracle away. That's just a proxy, right? That's, that's just a proxy. It shouldn't be anything more than just a regular proxy on your, your types. And it shouldn't even be, you shouldn't have inheritance. It should just be very easy, right? That should be just a proxy. Same thing for if I've got a component that handles web requests. Well, that should be something that gets hooked into 
infrastructure that, you know, is, is easy to do. It's programmatic. So I don't know. That was, that was part of it. It's just about hooking into all this stuff, but it's also about giving you a component model that was consistent so that you could take your skills over here and easily apply them over here. Uh, so they, they had three pillars in the beginning, right? Uh, portable service abstractions, so clean, easy-to-use abstractions that reduced some of the boilerplate. The JDBC template is my favorite go-to example, right? JDBC template, you could work with JDBC. JDBC is a great, it works great for what it is, but it's very low level. So most people don't want to work with it in terms of that low level API because you got to start sessions and transactions and, you know, iterate over the cursors. And you can do 20, 30 lines of code, not to mention all the different exceptions. And all you're trying to do is to issue, select all from customer, right? That's all I care about. Everything else is just boilerplate. It makes sense that it has to, JDBC is fine. It's not actually, it's not actually bad. It's just most people prefer to work one level up. Not before, before full-blown ORM, there's still a layer in between. So he created this uh, JDBC template, and now it's like, oh, okay, I'll give it a data source. I'll give it a connection to my database. And each time I do a, I do a query, I can say, here's my query, and here's a, 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 a Lambda, basically, a callback to invoke each time there's a new record. So I can map the record into an object. That's all, that's all I want, query, mapper, you know, everything else. Start the transaction, stop it, re- return it to the connection pool. All that stuff is just... Done implicitly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a portable service abstraction. The other thing they had was dependency injection, right? Because you've got one kind of stuff. You have one kind of component model. So now all these objects just talk to each other. They're not like walled off in separate, you know, component pools and thread pools and network services and all that. Uh, and then the, the 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 final bit was AOP, which was this sort of thing that we had taken from AO, from academia, really. You know, um, this is the uh, cross cutting piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, that was, you know, it turned out that that's actually less useful at a at a user level, like most people don't deal with that, which is fine. But the fact is that that's integral to infrastructure, such as such as the kind that Spring provides. Years later, we 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 create Spring Boot, and Spring Boot adds adds a fourth pillar, and the fourth pillar is something called auto configuration, which is given a queue, be it the presence of a class or an environment variable or something like that, given a queue, automatically configure something, right? So in the same and way that you could queue like configure. like a hint, not like a yeah. not like a um, queue, no, not a message, not, queue. not a line, yeah. not a yeah, a yeah. line, yeah, no, yeah. sorry, given a given a, 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 a polygon, yeah. do the following, no, uh, given a prompt or a, a hint or a cue from the environment or something that Q C U E not Q U E yeah yeah okay. yeah sorry mm-hmm. English fun language, um, <laughs> so given that prompt, given that hint or cue, do something automatically, right? And so now you can write a Spring Boot app where it's like, if all you want is to have a Hello World HTTP endpoint, then all you worry about is writing that Hello World HTTP endpoint, and that can be two lines of code, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's it. So now it's it's all those three things hidden behind automatic automatic sort of stuff. And, and the thing is, because it's still Spring, because it's this big box of objects, and Spring lets you swap out objects by dependency injection, I can easily sort of replace any part of the machine, any part of the infrastructure with my own implementation. So if I want to insert myself into some part of the, the, the infrastructure. I can, I have the choice to undo or redo or think differently about a particular so you decision. Could, you could sort of imagine that with the addition of Spring Boot, Java finally kind of caught up with Ruby on Rails? Actually, yes, we, we exceeded it finally because of two things. Ruby on Rails did a lot of its magic through code generation, mm-hmm. right? And you had a very strong opinion there and it was very strongly held. Spring Boot has strong opinions loosely held. You can undo any of your any of our opinions. We optimize for the five minute you know app, right? Like the 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 Ruby on Rails case was the web app babysitting a database, right? 
That's great, actually. That's because that is 80% of what people are trying to do on the server side. They want to build a web app that babysits a database. They don't care about container managed persistence and distributed transactions and all that nonsense. They just want to build a web app talking to a database. So that's an 80% case. Might as well optimize for that as the default. But if somebody decides they don't want to have a server side generated web app, then don't force them. If somebody decides they don't want to have uh, this particular persistence framework, then that's fine. Swap it out easily, right? So Spring Boot is right. that optimized opinion, <clears throat> but we have it for everything for batch processing, for integration, for security, for data flow, for all these different use cases, not just web apps based on GraphQL. We'll, we'll talk GraphQL. about GraphQL later. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, because I always heard that going, if you wanted to go off the rails when you were at Ruby on Rails, <laughs> oh, it oh. got really weedy really yeah. fast. Yeah, very, very weedy. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that was the intention of Rails. Like, like yeah. the happy path is on the rails. And the mm -hmm. moment you go off the rails, you, yeah. are you should not be doing something else. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I appreciated that, by the way. Daniel, oh, yeah. DHH, Daniel Heiner, Meyer, David, Hanson, whatever. Like, yeah, David. Uh, sorry. Uh, he, uh, he was very clear. This is the omakaze experience. You know, you get this and nothing else and don't, you know, if it works for you, great, but it's not, it's not meant to be good for everybody. We just found out that it, it can be good for most people, not just the web app babysitting and database use cases, but it well, took us 10 years to I get there. So to if you, if you look at the industry now around enterprise software, the vast majority is now spring and spring boot, I think being <laughs> the largest percentage of that. So yeah. I think it really speaks to the complexity of, the problem space of enterprise software, mm -hmm. you can't provide a Rails only experience and address the needs of the enterprise. No. You, no. you yes have have it easy to to get started and get in and do easy stuff, but you have to enable the vast uh, number of options that you encounter in it in across enterprises. Is it wasn't even great for startups. Is there Sorry. a Kotlin story for? Um... Spring. Oh, I do. I use it all the time. Kotlin yeah. and Spring Boot. It's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So, so you can just write Kotlin code. The Spring team has actually done a great job of of adding first class Kotlin support to to pretty much everything that they're doing in Spring. So suspend functions just work. Oh, and Josh, remember for our talk we did for Reactive Summit? Right. How there was some way we were transforming the data um, out into a flow, and it took like two extension method calls or something right. like that. I found, and maybe this was added since our talk, but I found now it just is like you just return the flow. Like uh, it's like, it's super hot. I got it. So good. Yeah. So yeah. Good. So I got to go back to that code we wrote and switch it over to the new API. So that's just another example where the Spring team has has made the Kotlin experience really seem first, first class. class. And um, I mean, mm. data classes just work. Like mm. there's so much good stuff in there. And so we we changed. So in 2017, we up until 2017, we had already supported generating projects that used Kotlin because anything you can address in Java, you can from Kotlin. Right? There's, it's Kotlin is great in that it's very pragmatic and integrates well with everything else. Uh, but in 2017, we released Spring Framework 5, which had native Kotlin support in the framework proper. We actually wrote code in Kotlin in the framework as opposed to just surfacing our stuff and making sure there's no wrinkles there. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and that's a big deal because Spring Framework is, uh, well, first of all, we're, we're nearing 20 years now, right? Wow. 20 years of Spring Framework since the first lines of code in 2001. Uh, and, and the GA releases, you know, the first started, the first releases started, were started 20 years ago, right? So we're, that the fact that we've got one open source project that was so well written that you could take code from 20 years ago and update it to the newest versions of Spring and it'll still run, 
right? We haven't had to refactor or redo the core code base because it's just very well designed, very you know clean. Uh, that's a that's a testament to how incredible it is that there is Kotlin in code in there because mm -hmm. we don't break backwards compatibility. So we introduce Kotlin into the core Spring framework. That'll be there in twenty years. You know that'll be we we believe in Kotlin. We we bet big on it, right? Uh, mm. It's it's very important to us, and so you're, to what you, what James was saying. And yeah, a we, lot of customers are 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 using it. Like it's, totally. it's it's gaining a lot of traction right now. And there's uh, oh, I saw that um, Spring Boot added the Kotlin X serialization support uh, mm -hmm. as well recently, which mm -hmm. is cool. So I mean, so I think Jackson's got a lot of great stuff in it. Um, yeah. But but the Kotlin X serialization where where I'm using it in a particular example is with Kotlin multi-platform. Uh, and so it's nice to have Kotlin serialization kind of used everywhere and now it's really supports it. Why would I is so good. choose like spring over now actually here's a side question. Yes, sir. You seem to say spring boot. Yeah. Does is that the same as spring or is that it well, okay, so remember I said there's these three pillars. Yeah. And, and they the existed fourth. by themselves for like twelve years, thirteen years. Uh, and then we added the Spring Boot thing. So technically, mm -hmm. you could still pull down Spring Framework, uh -huh. and you could bring Spring Data and Spring Integration and Spring MVC, but it would be up to you to wire them all together. It's like, it would have to be, be up to you it. to... Well, you, people did for 11 years, and it's still better mm -hmm. than the alternative. It's just that... It, it, and there were well-understood recipes. The, the problem is that those recipes... Like, if I want to use... Let's say I want to use Spring support for talking to... Uh, a database. I still need to define a bean that has my data source. I still need to define a connection puller that wraps that data source. I still need to define the JDBC template object. Well, that's all stuff that if mm -hmm. I've got a data source in the class path, a driver, then can then configure it for me, you know. And if I've mm -hmm. got a, the JDBC template class on the class path, give me an instance of that. Why should I new that up in configuration anywhere, right? It shouldn't. It just. Right. It's just. It's just automatic. Okay. So Spring Boot came Spring along and says, "Look, batteries included. Yeah, okay. for Spring." Like, okay, so, all right. So I'd I have love to give you a demo, by the way, if you have some time later. <laughs> um, I would love to deep dive. So why would I choose Spring Boot over, um, say, Micronaut? I, I, yeah. Um, I can take that one. You're, you probably don't want to bash Micronaut. Yeah, I, I, I'm not um, in that game. So I've used Micronaut um, pretty extensively and Spring Boot, and they they both are great. Mm -hmm. I think one of the primary reasons for Spring and why so many people are using Spring and Spring Boot today is that some there's just so much momentum behind it. There's so much of the enterprise is already using Spring and Spring Boot mm -hmm. that your questions are already answered on Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. The what you need is already there. Someone has already provided it. Mm. It just has the the power of the ecosystem. Okay, the batteries um, included thing. Yeah, yeah, and just like Truly. like as an example, Google Cloud has Spring Boot uh, libraries that you can use to use Google Cloud. They don't have Micronaut ones, and mm. you can certainly use Google Cloud APIs from Micronaut, but then you have to like you know do your own wrapping and some of that. And actually, mm. I think they have added some of that as well, but not as extensively supported and not. But Micronaut must have some advantage over Spring Boot. Uh, so one of the one of the things that they have done from the beginning well is the ahead of time compilation. Mm -hmm. So they, like mm -hmm. Quarkus, have focused on the use case of compiling to native 
and which uses ahead of time compilation. Mm -hmm. And there's some benefits that you get. Like uh, faster startup. Faster startup. Uh, better lower compatibility with GraalVM, lower memory. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so they've, they've focused on that from the beginning and that, uh, that I think is good, but now of course the spring folks, I, I'd say the spring the spring team is not always the first movers in certain areas. This is one Very of true. those. The head of time is not one of those areas where they're a first mover. But the things that are important, I've always seen the spring team get there, and and because of the power of the ecosystem that they have, it it just yeah. Well, the first mover advantage is a myth anyway. Yeah. It seriously yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so not we, it's not an advantage. No. Yeah. No. We, we, uh, it, we have to make GraalVM and Spring Native. We have this thing called Spring Native, right? That's already usable today. It's very, it works great. We've, we've what does Spring done, Native do? It's a set of infrastructure that you go to start that Spring Native, choose Spring Native. It'll configure your build such that when you compile it, you can also create a native image out of it, a GraalVM Native image editor. Okay. Yeah. It's the tooling it's, to do the GraalVM native image stuff oh, with Spring yeah. applications. Uh, mm. and, and, and that works great today in 2022, early 2022. But this year, later this year, we're going to integrate a lot of that into Spring Framework it's, itself. So it'll be an integral part of the core of Spring Framework experience. Uh, and, and then the, the gap between the usability of the native experience for one the Spring and other framework size, I expect will, will disappear, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the difference is that we will make that work for Spring users, of which there are endless, you know, numbers, right? Uh, so our hope is that you can take an app written in yesteryear using Spring, upgrade it to the latest and greatest. You don't have to change your code because we don't break stuff nearly willy, right? Uh, and then you can compile it to native. You can take an app that was written ten years ago, and now it, it's ten, you know, it's uh, it's ten percent of the original memory footprint, right? Just mm -hmm. for just for that upgrade, hmm. uh, which is a big deal if you're trying to. Yep. It, Trying to get these things into into the cloud. You want to save money on Google Cloud with the, you know, it's already cheap, of course. James James knows. So yeah. so we're Very talking cheap. size and startup time and performance. Startup all Startup time is uh, yeah sure. I mean, we, startup time goes down to tens of tens of milliseconds uh, mm -hmm. for your average Spring Boot app. But I don't know for whom that's an actual, except for Lambda, I suppose. You know, yeah. I don't care. Cloud run. So like yeah, or cloud run. Uh, yeah, do like anything k-native based like i think if you're doing any kind of auto scaling then sure then then this is important mm -hmm. um, okay then we got so it. I, I, I just don't want people to th focus on it yeah i mean it is a it is a big focus for the spring folks and for micronaut and for corcus the two other yep. big jvm frameworks um to to support native and native makes sense in some cases and doesn't make sense in other cases and right. so um it's not a oh. it's not a silver bullet that everyone should use all the time, but I, th I think the, other the primary case is is auto scaling mm -hmm. yeah. workloads is where it really makes and sense. cost savings because Google Cloud of course is very cheap and cost effective, but what <laughs> if you could do it and tenth the price? Oh, um, yeah. so the other thing is um, because we have this huge ecosystem, the batteries, the aforementioned batteries, uh, a, a huge part of it is not just making Spring work; it's 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 reaching out to these you know, hundreds of different open source projects and making sure that they also work with native because it's a, it's, it's like you, Bruce Tate. I always think about this metaphor uh, with Gravium, you have to eat the whole elephant, right? Like he was using that. Do you remember bitter EJB? We talked about yeah. that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, with Gravium, you can't just like have part of your application that's Gravium compatible. Right. It all needs <laughs> to be Gravium compatible. That's a, a paradigm shift, you know? And you, mm. So there's, there's got to be config files and all these different open source projects, or we have to provide them if they won't. Uh, so we're working with them. It's 
it's not just about making the narrow scope of like these new frameworks, they have a very narrow scope. They don't have to just make those things work. They have to, we have to make everything that has ever worked with Spring work. Oh, and that's what I'm, you know, we're so trying I, to do. I had an interesting experience last week with, uh, yeah. with Spring Native that I it caused me to have to understand something important. Uh-oh. So I I have this Spring application, and for better or for worse. I in my application on my main method, depending on a flag that was set uh, potentially set in the main method, you know, when I start the application, I would uh, I would configure my beans and go either run a command line application or start a server. So listen, we don't need to get into why or whether the idea. But anyways, so I I'm configuring these beans at startup time and. Then I am using Spring Native and creating my native version of this application, and I could not get it to go down the route of the command line. Like, and all of a sudden, after working with Sebastian and, and others on the, on the bug tracker, it clicked in my head. Oh, this is ahead of time, meaning yeah. th- how the flag is set at ahead of time compilation time determines the graph of beans that are going to be there and so i can't use that method of of swapping beans at runtime like i was doing on the jvm and i'm like makes total sense and it just took my brain a little bit to get there like okay ahead of the like the bean graph is determined at compile time with spring native which is great and it's exactly it makes total sense but yeah it was like oh okay some of the dynamic behavior that you're accustomed to just that's doesn't work in the gravium world and that's right exactly uh, you know it's okay we'll, we'll get around i mean there's a way to get around your thing we can engineer oh, yeah. around I found it, right? work around uh yeah it's all it's, bug report and all that and that's not springs limitation per se it's just the cost of doing business in the native world you know yeah. um, so you're a developer advocate yes sir well i'm He's a developer advocate. I'm a no. I'm not even uh, a developer to the throne. No, no, he's, oh, he's, he's gone. He's better in retirement than I ever was active. You know. <laughs> um, but your and and the company is what Spring.io or something? What? No, uh, I work for <laughs> VMware and VMware. We you yeah. know back in so there was Spring Source. Uh, sorry, there's uh, the open source project then Interface Twenty One and that get renamed into Spring Source. Two thousand nine, VMware bought. Spring source for half a billion dollars, four hundred and fifty million dollars in in the recession for a complete open source project, uh, and then they hired me after the uh, uh, the the acquisition, and I was I came in in August uh, August of twenty ten, uh, and then we spun out. We created something called Pivotal, which is a, a cloud company. We had the whole Spring team: Apache Tomcat, Apache Geode, RabbitMQ, uh, Cloud Foundry, Gem Gem. Uh, Sorry, I already mentioned that Green Plum, all these things, all these developer-facing bits, Redis, all of that went to this new company called Pivotal. Uh, it's just a giant umbrella for open source stuff. And uh, eventually we IPO'd and, uh, you know, had our fun in the sun. And then VMware's like, okay, I think the rest of the market's ready for you now. And they, they I don't know what, I don't know why, but it feels like they, they bought us back. They bought us back up. They spun us out and then they bought us again, hmm. right? Um, and... Uh, so now I'm back at the big old VMware ranch, which is awesome because you know the, the, they get it right. They're they're cool. So uh, Spring, I've I've had the same job since 2010, but the name on the paycheck has changed a couple times. <laughs> I see <laughs> the name on the letterhead. I see. Oh, that's well, that's very interesting. So 
uh, Pivotal was all open source stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, we sold cloud infrastructure, um, and we still do. It's just now we're doing it at, at, at VMware as part of the Tanzu brand. So Tanzu is a division of VMware. Tanzu just went uh, like 1.0 this week or something, right? Tap, yeah. So you, yeah. You, talk, you and I joke about the verbosity of, uh, of Kubernetes, but you know the, we've just released this thing where we actually have support for plugging in different kinds of workloads. So you create like this three-line YAML file, and suddenly it'll, you know, it knows about the kind of workload you're trying to deploy. Don't ask me anymore, please. I, <laughs> so I what's the and so the the business model for this open source division or Pivotal or whatever was was that consulting? No. Well, so we actually had that too. Actually, we did have that. Uh, yeah. We had so we we were part of we we Pivotal was the umbrella, but we took our name from Pivotal Labs, which was also part of Pivotal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Pivotal Labs was bought by EMC, and that got fed into this new spinoff called Pivotal, you know, 2013, right? Uh, so Pivotal Labs was the tip of the spear consulting arm business, and they're still there. I think we call them Tenzo Labs now, Tenzo Labs, but uh, but no, that wasn't our primary, uh, you know, that wasn't the thing we, off of which we made most money. It was um, our cloud. We had Cloud Foundry, right? We still have Cloud Foundry, uh... right? So people, that's open source, but People want to pay somebody to keep the lights on, and, and sure. you know, they don't want to maintain their own servers. Nobody does, right? So, yeah. and, but they but they still needed service. Sometimes mm-hmm. they would want to want to want to run in public cloud. Sometimes they want to run on prem, and that's a market everybody's chasing. And so we were one of the first. You've got Anthos now, which is a nice choice as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's we we made it very easy before it was cool to be in both places, public and private, on prem, hybrid. No. And we're doing the mm-hmm. same thing now with our Tanzu Kubernetes. Uh, Tons of application platform and all that stuff. Okay. So in terms of what's exciting in spring land, I think the AOT stuff is is definitely uh, yes. going to be cool, going to be help people that want to go native and benefit from that. It's going to be great. Because you, the way you described it is you said right now you have to choose it, but in the future it's just going to be, you don't choose it anymore. It'll just be the way it works. Well, it'll be there if you want to use it. Yeah, it'll be out of the box. Oh. So we have Spring Native, which is a separate project. It's a research bed. You know, we've done a lot of work mm-hmm. in the last two years in Spring Native, the separate project. But we didn't really get to change core Spring Framework or Spring Boot because we had to make sure those were backwards compatible for the current generation, right? Five, Spring Framework 5 came out in 2017. Uh, Spring Boot 2X has been the current generation building on Spring Boot, Spring Framework 5. And so we, we've done Spring Native and all this work that we've done over here has been around this stuff as opposed to underneath it and in the mix of it, you know? Um, okay. So now with Spring Boot 3 and Spring Framework 6, both of which are coming out this year, but in reverse order, uh, we, 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 can, we can change things. So Spring Native to do its work, to make Spring and this very dynamic component model work, it does some stuff that are uh, a little un- unseemly, but it works. It's fine, but it's just not what we'd want as an ideal solution. But it was done so that we could preserve backwards compatibility. So, for example, we use GraalVM substitutions. GraalVM has this neat mechanism where you can literally just hot patch a class to remove parts of it or change it or swap it out for a different implementation. Any class in the, in the class loader at compile time can be swapped out for GraalVM, right? Huh. Um, it, it's, there's a whole component model with at, it's called at substitute, right, from Graal. I haven't used that. No, it's, it's, it's there to, I mean, it's useful for all sorts of stuff um, where you can try and make it work, but it's just not going to work. You can just say, never mind, I don't need it. No up it, you know, or whatever, or I can replace it with something that does something differently. So we do some of that stuff. And it's just like, that's what we did because we can't change core spring on spring boot. 
well, now we can. So why not just do that instead? Or that kind of stuff. Or, you know, lots of like little things where it would just be much more elegant, much cleaner. But it does work. Spring Native works for the current generation, 2.x and, uh, and 5x. So if you're using those generations and th- those will be supported for a number of releases to come, then you've got, you've got a choice. But from Spring Framework 6, we're assuming a Java 17 baseline. We're assuming mm. uh, Jakarta EE support if you want that, right? I, I don't use those types, but if I ever did, I'd be using Jakarta instead of Java EE now. Um, and uh, we're assuming that you want out-of-the-box support for native. Uh, mm. And if you want to do JRE apps, it's, it, it still works just as always, but now you also have this other path, you know? Um, so it has special support for records? We've, we've already got that, yeah. So, okay. so th- this is the thing. Spring Framework is always keeping up with the latest JRE and JDK releases. So you can do that today. We, we support records for uh, all of the Spring Data projects, for example. Um, same thing for data classes in, in Kotlin. We support creating entities using those types, using those conventions in, in those different languages for all the different Spring Data portfolio projects except for JPA because that's not within our control to change, right? It doesn't. Mm-hmm. JPA is based on a spec, which in turn hates records and and stateless entities. <laughs> it um, likes mutability. Don't sure. leave it with yeah. that. Don't. don't. Yeah. You, it sounded like you were working up towards something though, yeah. about the future. <laughs> oh. interesting things going well, on. Yeah. So I think this is a huge area of of exciting stuff that's happening. And yeah. Um, uh, but then another area is uh around you you've you've been pushing on the reactive stuff for for a number of years and i feel like it's just beginning to get to the place where the masses can finally like like appreciate it yeah Yeah. and i and part of that i think is due to kotlin coroutines and the easier programming model there like our uh the rx apis and reactor apis i think have, have have been sufficiently um different to most people that it definitely puts up a bit of a barrier um for for some folks to to adopt and go that direction because then all of a sudden you have to start thinking asynchronously and that's hard um but the but coroutines and i don't know maybe at some point loom will will make this more approachable to some folks but anyways i feel like reactive is finally oh and of course we got to say r2dbc because what a fantastic project and the the maturity of of that i think is is helping open up a lot of people to the world of reactive as well um the the web client like getting people off of some of the non-reactive ones oh and then like having like reactive templates like anyways the whole ecosystem around reactive i think is is finally ripened reactive so that everyone should be able to go reactive well in Um, no small part to you buddy like you and you were pushing the the reactive uh uh you know gospel yeah the manifesto you were pushing that before yeah yeah, but now, now I think I mean, ago. but it took spring really like getting behind it and and putting in you know many many years of effort to get it to oh, a yeah. place where where it's something that can really become the default rather than and and I the think that's, that's ultimately like like what I want to see is that reactive is should be the default, right? Well, so that's that's a great point. Spring has enough weight because of its entrenched sort of nature that we can start to bring people to things or we can try at least. And uh, it doesn't always work, but sometimes like, so I said that spring framework six will be based on Java 17, which means that at the source code level, we're using Java 17 now, as opposed to we're using Java eight now, but we support Java 17 isms if they're present, right? Mm-hmm. Through detection of yeah. those features. So for example, everything in spring supports records where appropriate for serialization, for web stuff, for entities, but that's not, we don't use it in our own code. We can't. We, we, we compile at Java 8 levels to be backwards compatible. 
for spring framework six, we're cutting over to 17. Hmm. We get to use 17 in our code, right? And so, mm-hmm. and that makes a lot of sense. Consider the lifetime of spring of a given spring generation. It might be like five years, right? We'll see two, maybe three long-term released versions of Java in the next five, six years, right? And we'll see, it'll be like Java 30 by the time we start talking about spring <laughs> framework yeah. seven, you know, I mean, it's a big deal. So we moving to 17 seems aggressive, but it's actually, it's, it's nothing, right? It's, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be in the rear view mirror in no time. So it's the same thing for reactive programming. Uh, you know, if we can bring people to that, and again, you and, and, uh, light bend, uh, uh, type safe at the time, um, uh, the, the RX Java team, um, you know, all these different groups, they, they forged a path and, uh, Hopefully we've helped commoditize it, you know, uh, yeah, for people. I think so. Make it approachable. Same so thing then for the other one I wanted to bring up was GraphQL. And, yes. Uh, I had this so moment uh, a while back where we should probably talk about what GraphQL oh, is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Here's, but here's here's my realization. Okay. We'll explain okay. it. Okay. Okay. I was, I was building a client. I was building, like, multiple clients, and they were both, ultimately making database calls, but the different clients needed different data. And the typical way that you do that is that your then your server has to say, okay, you know, here's a call that returns this data structure. Two different views. Yeah. And and that's just as uh it doesn't feel right. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if the client could just say, here's the data that I want. And that's what would happen. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, ding, 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 GraphQL. That's exactly what GraphQL is, gonna, is yeah. doing. Okay. It sounds like w- wizard, sorcery, hokey poke nonsense, but it, it really is simpler. It's it's not some nebulous thing where it's like, get all your data in one warehouse and, you know, use a whole warehouse full of computers to find one single record. You know, it's it's not like that. It's It's super simple to the point where I can do it. And if I can do it, then anybody can do it, you know? You know, it, GraphQL so there's, was very there's some cool stuff happening around Spring and GraphQL is really what I wanted to get to. Thank you. Well, your 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 paychecks in the mail. Like I, <laughs> we we have this. Uh, there's this GraphQL Java project, right? Again, we're we're not the first movers in this space. A great, you, you said it before, right? Uh, we want to make sure it's worth uh, people's time, you know. And there's a use case there. So there's this great project, an open source project called GraphQL Java. It's been around for years. It's the official like GraphQL Java implementation. Uh, it's bulletproof. It's tried and true. Twitter just announced uh, like six months ago that their whole backend is now using that instead of their built-in. They had their own proprietary Scala-based GraphQL project, and they've wow. jettisoned that, and they're using GraphQL Java wow. to serve all their traffic. Huh. Right. So That's it's good. it's it, it's rock solid. Works well. Don't have to take our word for it. Just look at Twitter or anybody, you know. Um, and so we thought, well, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to make this? They they even had a GraphQL Spring integration, but it wasn't idiomatic. You know, it wasn't the the it didn't it didn't integrate as well as perhaps it could have. Uh, and so we reached out to them and we worked together with them and we built this Spring GraphQL project, right? Uh, uh, working with the Spring team. So some of our the you know the heavy hitters on the Spring team, the people that you know whatever they do is great. You know, the people that you know know what they're doing. We put them on this project and they worked and they've been working in tandem with the. Uh, GraphQL Java team for the last, you know, year and a half, two years, whatever. Uh, and the result is Spring GraphQL, and it's so good. It's yeah. uh, because well, you, you, you've used RSocket, yeah? Bringing the uh, productivity of of usual Spring to yeah. the GraphQL world, which is... Conciseness, really... too, you know? 
Uh, and so it's, RSocket and, was the next one I was going to go to. Yeah. I haven't used RSocket much, to be honest. Oh. I, need, I need to spend some more time with it because it does seem really cool. Um, yeah. As one of the kind of maintainers of gRPC Kotlin and being yeah. at Google, like obviously like gRPC is, is been the place where I've spent most of my time in this realm. What does RSocket do? Good question for Josh. Uh, it's a, a glorified socket. It's it's just a it's a way to talk it's a way for a client to talk to a server and once they're connected they're not actually client or server anymore, right? So you have a server socket and a socket that's not really a thing anymore. You have two sockets that connect each other, and at, once they're connected they stay connected for the life of the application. Either side can ask either side questions or either side can produce answers. It's not it's not like I make a request and then you give me a response. It's I stay I connect to you and once we're connected we can talk to each other equally. We're not. Uh, you don't have to wait for me to ask a question before you can give me an answer. So it's um, got like a foreign function call interface or something. It's no, it's a socket. Through a socket. Okay. It's, yeah, it's literally and just then a socket using CLI's data. Okay. Right, it, and it's binary. It's not you know, it's not using Google protocol buffs uh, specifically, but it can. It, it's it's agnostic of Abstract, how yeah, you agnostic. how you can how you communicate the data. It supports all the common messaging exchange patterns. So if you want to do fire and forget, if you want to do bi-directional streaming where you're constantly just sending feed data or sensor data or whatever in an ongoing fashion, you can do that. Um, it supports request response. It supports, you know, just all these kind of things that are just not really possible with HTTP or, or WebSockets. Uh, it is reactive. And this is where we get kind of, uh, you know, whiteboardy. It, it, that is to say, with reactive programming, you've got this mechanism called back pressure, which is very simply just flow control. Mm -hmm. It's my ability to say, I can't handle anymore. Stop, right? That's it. That's a very simple thing. Uh, that but state... don't lose data. Right. Yeah. It's that state mm -hmm. machine that you have to build when you build network services, that flow control state machine that's so bedevils people who are trying to build TCP and UDP services. That state machine sucks. And so reactive programming gives you an, a protocol that, you know, if you use it, assures you that you won't, uh, like you said, you won't lose data. You have a meaningful way to avoid getting overwhelmed, right? Um, you don't want to get overwhelmed and have too much data from one side or the other. Uh, and so this protocol, RSocket, maps to the reactive stream specification, but at the network level. Hmm. So it's not just an approximation like with reactive streams and HTTP, because you can't true you can't do session resumption with HTTP. You can't say, I'm gonna request five records and then still I'm still here. I haven't canceled. I haven't disconnected the socket. I'm just not asking for anything, right? That's not a thing with HTTP. Uh, you, you can either get all the data or you can disconnect. You can't just stay in the middle. Hmm. Um, and from what I remember, you can also do all this through the Kotlin flow. API, isn't it? Yeah, because sure it's reactive. Kotlin. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can use the Kotlin Flow API to be your interface to this, or you can use the Reactor APIs. But uh, way. so that's another thing. We made it so that all the reactive streams types work well with coroutines in Kotlin. So if you use Spring, every single reactive type, all the stuff we just talked about, including RSocket and the web stuff and the data stuff and integration reactive and security, template. all that stuff, everything in Spring that is reactive, which is to say, darn near everything at this point. Uh, all that just automatically works as coroutines because we we created extension functions to support that. Hmm. Um, and so by extension, you can use coroutines with our socket and with all this other stuff, and it's even nicer. Yeah. Um, it's just a nice protocol. It's just a very nice, clean, elegant protocol. You kind of wish it, HTTP is great for open web, I suppose. But if you're doing homogenous, uh, uh, you know, like service to service interactions, gRPC or our socket are going to be a better fit, right? Uh, our socket was created after gRPC, so uh, there are some use cases that they just didn't feel were well served by gRPC. But that said, gRPC, gRPC well, is great. You know. very tied to protobuf, so we're yeah, it's it, it's great. Uh, they're both much better than 
you know, <laughs> trying to build everything on HTTP. There's no nobody's going <laughs> to shut you down. They're no, much better than okay. uh, than EJBs. Sure. Well, it's not. That's, it's, it's it borders on patronizing to say that because it's so low a bar, you know. So it's better than a kick in the face. I love it. Um, but you know, it's nobody's going to shout you down when you have questions about how to send data. Like, there's only one way to send data to the server. You know, you can't get it wrong, right? It's not like, oh, should I do a post or a put? Do I do options? Do I have this header or that? Which status code do I return? There's none of that, right? Like with REST and all these other things. It's very simple. You want to send data to the server, it's called a mutation. Sounds like an improved abstraction. It's, uh, I, all abstractions have leaks. That's true. <laughs> but it, can we agree? It, it, for, for what it purports to do, it's not terrible, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't purport to be all of HTTP. It's certainly not. But for service-to-service -service interactions, it's neat. Oh. Which seems like a great deal of what you normally do. I would think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's the open web, and that's still going to be HTTP. You're still going to build JavaScript talking to HTTP endpoints, uh, I suppose. But you could use RSocket over HTTP WebSockets. And by the way, you could also, what I want there, uh, James, is to have GraphQL. Because GraphQL is another one of those things where you don't have, um, it, it uses HTTP, but almost incidentally, right? It's just not like, it's not like it's an actual proper HTTP REST right. thing. It's just a transport. And, and so you can do WebSockets in GraphQL. I would love to see an RSocket GraphQL transport. Ooh, oh, that oh, yeah, that'd be yeah. money. That'd be yeah, so sweet. I like it. Um, yeah. Okay, next cool thing is there's been, and I mean, this isn't a huge area of investment, but something I've uh -oh. always got to talk about is test containers and Spring is so pretty good. awesome. Yeah. Test containers we, is awesome. Um, we had Sergey on a couple weeks like a month or so ago to talk about test containers. So we yeah. don't have to belabor that topic, but I do love using test containers and spring together. Me too. Um, it's just, it's the way the world should be. That's another thing. We pushed JUnit 5. Actually, we were, we paid, you know, uh, we, we pay people to work on JUnit, right? Like it's, it's, it's a big priority for us. So one of the reasons people are moving to JUnit 5, I would like to say is because we started making it the default and we started encouraging people to do that. Right. And we paid to invest in the infrastructure for JUnit, right? It's a, like we, we care about testing. It's always been a core part of our story. It can't just be tied to this application server that is opaque. Yeah. Yeah. Test yeah, containers is money. Other, I was trying to think if there was anything else on my list of kind of exciting stuff happening in Springland. Oh. Is there anything? I, I felt like there was one more. Kotlin. Yeah, we I mean, talked about Kotlin support. Kotlin observability. That's a new theme and a big theme mm -hmm. in the new generation of Spring Framework 6. I mean, we've got good support there. Uh, you know, but the, the goal here is to have a really sort of baked in ecosystem-wide uh, story around uh, observability and, and in particular things like uh, metrics and, and yeah. statistics. I mean, it's already much um, better than most other systems. Oh, out sure. There. Because of micrometer. That's another thing. Yeah. We, we built... We built Project Reactor, which people use all the time without Spring, and that's fine, right? We did that in purpose. We built Micrometer, which people use all the time without Spring. Um, but the, the goal is to make that so that you have even more visibility into what your application is doing in the core container, you know, the core Spring framework, uh, as opposed to just like on top of it. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Anyway, it's lots of good stuff coming. And there's also the Jakarta EE. <sighs> That's the Sigh. one. Yeah. Yeah. What did that mean? Well, so long story short, like five years ago, um, there's a whole kerfuffle. And, and, and on the spring team, we just kind of sat there and watched as people, you know, 
beat each other senseless on Twitter. Um, and they, they basically every API, every bit of code ever written against Javax, J-A-V-A-X dot asterisk is now broken, right? If you want to continue using these, these standards, then uh, you have to use the new Jakarta dot asterisk namespace for legal reasons, not tech reasons. There's no technical reason. Um, Brand, please. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't purport to understand. But as a result, if you're using any of those low-level Jakarta EE abstractions, and it's it's hard to avoid them sometimes. A lot of people are using JPA. A lot of people, uh, you know, use Bean validation, that kind of stuff. If you're doing that, you're going to have to do a the ultimate find and replace, right? Um, and it is just find and replace. And, that, and to their credit, the folks who work on Jakarta EE have... They they did when they got when they got the license when they got the permission to continue evolving what was then Java EE outside of Oracle Oracle stipulated that everything hence had to be in this new package, um, but to make it easy for people to kind of get move over they released Java, Jakarta EE eight which is basically Jakarta Java EE seven but under the Jakarta moniker but there didn't change anything in the code so it had the new license it was under the new foundation the Eclipse Foundation it was all that. They didn't change much, almost anything at all, if, if, if memory serves. Then they just recently released Jakarta EE9, which changes the packages. So it's basically the same as 8, which is the same as 7, but they've moved over to Jakarta dot, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have a, a, you know, if you want to jump on and ensure that the behavior is the same, you can do that in this new one. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're going to upgrade our dependency because we have to. You know, it's the, it's the ebb, of, uh, ebb and tide of uh, uh, software updates. We're updating to that, and if you're if you're not using those types, and it's entirely possible you're not, I don't I don't have code that is going to be impacted really, but uh, but if you are using those types through Spring, then you know you're going to have a find and replace, and it's just find and replace. I'm hoping the IDEs will have like a oh it looks like you're using Javarda EE, you know, let me do a find and replace for you just to move Jakarta dot to Javax dot to Jakarta dot, but uh, with with Spring Framework six will come this new baseline as well, mm -hmm. uh, so that'll be fun. It's not our fault. We didn't do this. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there are people that care about this. I don't. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's the thing. <laughs> and we try to make it as easy, easy as possible for people. Yeah. We do. We really do. But it's, sometimes it's just, I mean, we didn't do this. <laughs> it's homework. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. That's the nice thing about a framework, right, is we pull together all these loose ends for you as easily as possible. And, and we spackle over some of the in inconsistencies across these different technologies and make it look as cohesive as possible, you know. We have people on the Spring team who have no hair, zero hair. They just spend their life managing the dependencies and dependency management and, uh, you know, these integrations. Just no hair. Isn't yeah. that nice that somebody is willing to do that? It is very yeah. nice. And uh, All right. Well, um, I'm excited about the future of Spring. Certainly. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. I mean, it's already so huge. It's just... It, it's, and it's but huge because it's good. You know, it's... It's not one of those things where it's huge because because people didn't have another option. Or yeah. golf games. Yeah. I, like I yeah. hate golf games. If you're doing golf game driven development, like it's you know you know those meetings where it's like a C C X O whatever C something O playing a golf game with a vendor and and suddenly all of these poor schlubs and then the IT pool are are just like well what do you mean we have to use this thing that nobody uses at all for next 20 years well, uh -huh, you know like so back long ago after actually right after i got fired from my start own startup yeah i went to a company where i was building a customer service portal and i wanted to use jboss 
That's and, awesome. Um, I we did we had to we were forced to do an evaluation of JBoss versus OC4J, uh, oh, which come is on. a That's container for Java. Yeah. Um, and of course, JBoss won the evaluation. You think? <laughs> but. There's one little thing I did, failed to realize was that the company I was working for, I mean, I realized this part, the company I was working for was owned by Larry Ellison, but I oh. failed to realize that maybe it doesn't matter like what technology I want to use when Larry Ellison is ult ultimately writing the paychecks. So we oh. used OC4J. Oh, oh, that's... That was... That was OC4J was... A valiant effort? Yeah, a valiant effort. This is what Shakespeare would call damning with faint praise. <laughs> like, yes. I, 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 J, J Boss was the, the application server to beat, right? For, for, yeah. for good reason, for a long time, right? Uh, yeah. That and Tomcat. Tomcat, of course, ate yeah. uh, J Boss's lunch, but J Boss ate everybody else's lunch, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I have so, nothing but. Anyways, golf games. It's some, yeah, golf games. Sometimes you can't get away from uh, golf game decision making. But we have a friend who was working at a company, and they had developed everything in Java, and they hired a new VP of technology or whatever he was called. And he came in and he said, "We're going to rewrite everything in Go." Oh, yeah, and you just go, oh. I see what's happening here. You're just, and I'm sure, I mean, who knows what happened with that company or whether that VP is still there or he's moved on before the, everything started to talk. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? And it was just cause he probably was at a golf game and thought go sounded <sighs> cool. And it's like, Oh my gosh. I, I can. This is what I, I, I remember you talking about this, uh, uh, Bruce, I remember you talking about Python and how people, like at the time when I when I was reading your stuff and I was learning it, this is late 90s, early 2000s, I remember, I think it was you, I'm pretty sure it was you, somebody somebody made the point that like, you know, Google doesn't have, there's no like corporate mandate to use Python for Google, they just did it because it would solve the problem. Same thing for NASA, same thing for ILM, same thing for these, like they had to put things in space, they didn't, there's no like, you must use this vendor stuff, there's no, nobody else that has vendor pre-rolled software for getting stuff in space. They just need to use something that made sense for them and got the job done. So they use Python. And I love that Spring is the same thing. It's open source. We don't make money off of Spring, right? There's, we make money off of Kubernetes. Mm. If you want to use Spring, you use it because you like it and because it works for you, right? There's no, no, we can't twist everybody's arm there, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's growing because of that. And I, it's much better testament to a technology when people choose to use it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it. we keep trying to figure out how to fund open source projects, but maybe maybe that wouldn't be a good, you know, maybe the downside of that would be... Different incentives. Well, right. The same as the way Congress works is if you have bags <laughs> of money and you want something to happen, you just take your bags of money and it doesn't matter what everybody else needs. Yeah, so I mean, there's, maybe... there's, there's always a raison d'etre for everything, though. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that Spring doesn't. We want things to work well in Kubernetes, obviously. Yeah, but that would be a fair. That would be a fair decision, even if we weren't invested in the, the market ourselves, right? Yeah. If if our parent company wasn't particularly invested in that market, that would be a reasonable thing for Spring to do, in any context, since that's the de facto standard. There's a cool thing about Spring platform. is that yeah. what is what does Spring care most about? It cares most about doing what's best for their develop the, the users, the 
we try. That are we building stuff. do try. Like that, it, mm-hmm. Spring does that so well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ultimately, that's what you want. And if that yeah. doesn't happen, eventually that product is going to fail. If it yes. stops serving its users, somebody else is going to come along and make something that does serve the users. I, I give Oracle credit here as well for the Java team, right? They, I know that they make some money on that, but I can't imagine it's anything close to what they're making off their main businesses. So the fact that there's a well-funded team that does amazing things all the time mm-hmm. for free, like for open source, is just amazing. And, and ditto for JetBrains and Kotlin. I hope they make money, but I don't see how they do off of amazing language. Uh, and then same thing for us. We, we, we VMware has been so great. And so gracious, our team's growing, we're thriving, the community is happier and happier. You know, it's, these are How weird cool anomalies we in the ecosystem. Have, you know, you roll back 20 years ago, 15 oh, years ago, <laughs> like th- we didn't have the world where no. so many, there was so much funding for things that exist solely to make developers' lives easier and better. Yeah. How cool is it? Today. Oh, yeah, test containers. I mean, my goodness, you couldn't even imagine that 20 years ago. Yeah. I, I couldn't even remember when JBoss was like scandalous because it wanted to do an open source application server yep. Yep. and they couldn't get certified. And there's this whole brouhaha around like, well, they're open source. You can't possibly be Java EE certified or J2E certified. And it's like, why is that even a discussion? Why? It just seems so re- I just, I, I just now. recently reread Mark Flurry's blog about exactly that subject <laughs> from, I found it and read it and I was like, oh my God, the world is so different. So different. Yeah, and he had to sell documentation to get support for this thing that they were doing. You know, oh, uh, yeah, the battle that he fought to have an open Amazing. source app server that made Huge. developers' lives easier and better. Well, and remember when Bill Gates was saying, "Oh, <laughs> open source software is the evil," you know, and now Microsoft is like, "Open source, we're all about open source now." Number one, too. They're not even just about it. They're the number one contributor to open source. Are they? If you look at, yeah, if you look that. at their contributions across all the GitHub projects, there's more from. Microsoft and almost anybody. Well, uh, and Guido Van Rossum has been working there, and he's happy, and yeah. he he's not an easy one to keep happy in a job <laughs> like that. Because he, I was sad he when he left Dropbox for so many years. What's that? I was sad he left Google and then Dropbox, and then he retired for a minute. And he retired and then discovered no, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. Or maybe his wife said. You've got to get a job again. You can't just be moping about the house. <laughs> I've heard I've heard many wives say that. They go, he's here all the time. All the time. Oh, and yeah. the pandemic just made it doubly worse. Oh, yes, exactly. But, I mean, I just heard a podcast with him, and he's, like, super happy at Microsoft. Oh, that's great. Exactly what he wants to do. He doesn't – yeah, so did, all kinds of the open That is so great. And these companies realize the value of open source. Did you see – I saw yesterday that – Congress hauled a bunch of the big tech companies <laughs> to, uh, talk about log for Jay. to talk about log4j and there's like we need to have that was, governance over this now or something and they're saying I thought it was like an April Fool's joke or something when I saw <laughs> oh, that. Oh no yeah what is going on I don't quite understand what the implication is there but then Google came back and said uh, uh, there needs to be a, a better model to fund open source projects or mm-hmm. something I mean I don't this would be a whole like, it's a whole other Oprah we should definitely I'd love to talk to you all about it once I understand more but that yeah. seemed I, if you put the bingo card of things I didn't expect to see happen in 2022, yeah. It, uh, yeah, that was definitely not in the bingo cards. Log for J contributors having to testify before Congress. Yeah, what in the <laughs> what? <laughs> Such a weird, yeah. weird it moment is. in our time. Yeah. 
because you kind of get the sense that Congress is not going to get this. They're going, we got to have regulation over this first yeah. development. You're, like, hmm, you're missing a really important, this is all volunteer work. So I, I, I still, I'm still, I mean, the meme of somebody describing the internet as pipes and tubes is still funny because it's real, right? Like, yeah. Like there's at a, some level, yes. Oh, the yeah, the comic with the building blocks and the one that is maintained by some some random oh, guy yeah. in Cincinnati. One or guy whatever. in Cincinnati, yeah. The, this entire mountain of infrastructure, and this is the one critical Lego brick that if it falls out, everything tumbles. The Jenga block. Yeah. Well, and the uh, the open source developer, well, JavaScript developer who went on strike and oh, left pad. Yeah. No, this was the one this oh. week. Uh, oh, no. JS. Yeah, right. Whatever. Which some two, little two pieces. Libraries. I I blame other, like, oh, yeah. There's there's other issues in well, that particular one. Like, lack the, of versioning. It's exactly. It's non locked, unlocked dependencies. Like, yeah. version range. Oh, yeah. These are the, Just, ultimately the issue there. It's like, don't, yeah, don't do that. And Node, pin it down. Do that is bad. And you should fix that. <laughs> Well, but did so like even in the Java world, you, you don't typically go to production on snapshots, but you could as long and, and we have semantic versioning, so we assume one x is going to be backwards compatible. But if he if he or she published a one x snapshot equivalent in the Node world, and just decided to break it in the latest snapshot, that wouldn't be wrong of developers, would it? I mean, that would be his fault or her fault, not the developers who trusted one x would be one x. You know, that's yeah, exactly. the The fault lies in people who trust that nothing is going to break when they use a version range dependency. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. Mm. Well, yeah. Anywho. Simver. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I would like to live in a world where that's true. I'd like to believe that if Spring says this is a five to next generation, I can go back and forth and, you know, if I didn't new, if I didn't use the new features, new things, it didn't break. But, uh, well, Josh, it's been a pleasure. Oh, hopefully, hey, my, my hopefully I get to see you in person sometime. We'll get you up to Crestview at some time. Yeah, come to yeah. one of our developer retreats. I would love it. I, it's, yeah. it's been a dream. And, and before it was always like, well, you know, I got to go. There's places to be. and But now I just I just yeah. don't want to get coronavirus. But I can do that anywhere. You know, I can not get coronavirus <laughs> in Crestview. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you put it that way. Yeah, up here in a tourist town, you yeah. can get it anywhere. <laughs> oh, what do I mean? But I mean, I can be scared of. I can get it here too. Oh, right. my, my point is, like, if I'm going to be scared of like getting it, I might as well cower in in fear with friends as opposed to just. Well, yes. I, I've got my family here. That's pretty. Cowering good. in fear with friends. Well, that'll yeah. be the tagline for yeah. the next developer retreat. <laughs> exactly. Like. Uh, All right. Uh, All righty. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Thank you.